Hey everybody, Cheryl Todd here from Gun Freedom Radio, and I am settling in for a nice long chat with my friend Eric Pratt. Eric Pratt is the Senior Vice President for Gun Owners of America. You probably know it as GOA. GOA is a national grassroots organization representing more than 2 million Americans dedicated to promoting their Second Amendment freedom to keep and bear arms. Welcome to the show, Eric. Thank you so much, Cheryl. It's fantastic to be with you today. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, we both are such busy people trying to organize our calendar. It was surprisingly easier than I, I anticipated. So <laughs> that's right. These stars have aligned for us. And I want to dive right in because I have several really important and timely topics to talk with you about. First of all is this whole red flag gun law ERPO thing. Like even the word ERPO, you know, people are like, I don't even know what you're talking about, and yet you want me to care <laughs> about it enough to call my legislators. So help us understand better what those things are and why we should care enough to call our legislators. Sure. Well, you're talking about emergency risk protection orders. Uh, they're also called red flag laws. We call them gun confiscation orders because that's exactly what they are. Um, 17 states have passed them. And basically what it does is it allows a family member or a former dating partner. It depends on the law of the state. Uh, but, you know, you're talking about a former dating partner. This could go back to third grade. But any, anyone in that universe could bring a complaint against you and based only on an allegation that you pose significant danger to yourself or others, your guns can be confiscated. And, and really the key is the word allegation. All it takes is an allegation with no due process and your guns can be taken. You know, it's ironic uh, because the, you know, the, the president last year made a comment like, uh, you know, take the guns first, then due process. Uh, and then he, he walked that back a little bit and said, okay, we do need some due process. And, you know, recently in the news, he's uh, with all the, uh, what's been going on in, in, in terms of trying to uh, get him impeached. Uh, you know, he made the statement, hey, I should be able to face my accuser. Uh, you know, that's due process. Well, that's exactly right. Americans should be able to face their accuser. And the problem with red flag gun confiscation orders is that there's no due process before your guns are taken. Uh, there's no attorney to represent you. There's no facing your accuser. There's no trial by jury. Nothing. Just a mere allegation can result in you losing your guns. And sometimes with very tragic consequences. Um, Cheryl, I'm sure you've heard the story of Gary Willis of Maryland, who after a family argument, uh, in order to get back at him, the family member uh, called in a false uh, gun confiscation order complaint against him. So uh, keep in mind, there's no due process occurring. He doesn't get any kind of notice or a chance for his attorney to uh, appear or nothing like that. Certainly no trial by jury, nothing. The police show up the next day at 5.17 a.m. in the morning. He has no idea what's happening. So what do most gun owners do at that hour of the morning? It's still dark outside, people pounding on your door. You answer, I mean, I have yet, yeah, I've told many people this story and everybody says, yeah, at, at that hour, I answer the door with a gun in hand. 
Well, that's exactly what Gary Willis did. And as a result of that morning uh, confrontation, it wasn't really a confrontation, but that that morning uh, appearance there by police, he ends up being shot to death. This is a horribly tragic event brought on by a, a set of laws that are threatening to take away our Second Amendment rights without due process. It is a travesty. This is a problem when you throw due process out the window. Absolutely. And even with due process, because some people have said, well, you know, what if we write a red flag gun law that uh, includes due process? Would you be happy then? And personally, I'm thinking, you know, the focus is completely wrong. The focus is on one class of tool, the firearm, right? And supposedly the law enforcement officers are going to show up at whatever time of the day and confiscate that class of tool that they know you own. Well, what about if I truly am a threat to self or others, even if you take the guns of mine that you know about, I am still a threat to self or others. So the focus is completely wrong, in my opinion, even with the process. You are so right on, Cheryl. In fact, there's a, a very sad case in Illinois where that exact thing happened, where uh, they took a guy's guns. Uh, yeah, he was uh, a prohibited person, shouldn't have had guns. Uh, yeah, so anyway, the, the point is the police took his guns, but they left him in the home. Okay, so you might, you know, just to simplify it, they arrested the guns, not the person. And just as you were saying, if you, you leave the person in the home and he truly is a danger, you have not helped anybody. And so shortly thereafter, uh, he was still dangerous. And he had swords in the house. He used one of them to stab his mom in the heart and chopped her up into pieces and stuffed her in a trash bag. So taking his guns away did absolutely nothing. You know, the thing that is really astounding, there are already laws on the books when, you know, when people in Congress say, well, what about a red flag law that has, you know, some sort of due process, you know, like, like you were saying. Um, in a very real sense, we already have that, although not in the sense of arresting the guns. We already have laws on the books where if you make a threat to somebody, uh, you know, just try going to the, uh, uh, the airport and making a joke about, uh, you know, a bomb being in your luggage or something like that. I mean, you know, you... You can't make threatening remarks even jokingly. And so the point is, is already under existing law, if you make, you know, a threat like, you know, I'm going to shoot up this workplace or, or something like that, under our laws, you can be arrested. Notice, you still have due process. You can have your attorney present. You know, you, you can answer the claims, et cetera. There's due process that takes place. But in other words, authorities can get involved. This happened in California where a guy said, you know, I'm gonna, I think it was at a hotel where they worked, and he got angry one day, and he said, I'm going to shoot everybody here. Well, somebody reported it, and uh, they came and arrested him. And, you know, he gets to answer the charges. He gets to go through the legal procedures. But in other words, they didn't just come and take his weapons and leave him because if he really is dangerous, then they haven't cured the problem. You know, they've now, in fact, they've made him angrier, you know, because now they've come and taken his guns and, and you're leaving him in a very volatile situation. So it's it, very interesting. After the, uh, the, the, the killings, the mass killings in August, CNN reported that there were almost like within a two week period, 
almost 30 examples, just like that California case that I just mentioned, where people made threatening remarks, and then the police came and arrested them. And this was under existing laws. Not a, not a red flag in all those 30 cases was used uh, to arrest those people, because actually, if they were using red flag laws, they would have only taken their guns. So uh, 30 cases where under existing laws, we already have, the point is we already have laws on the books, and uh, yet gun control advocates want to score points by getting more gun control passed. And it's a sad thing, you know, the, the 17 states that have red flag laws, most of them are blue states, like Maryland, and uh, it's costing lives. Uh, and it's not protecting people and it's costing lives. It's a very tragic thing. I couldn't agree with you more. And this all started bubbling to the surface. Red flag gun laws do outdate uh, predate the Parkland High School shooting in uh, or murders in Florida. But there was such a push after the Parkland murders, uh, supposedly because there was no way for law enforcement to interact with this individual who had had umpteen, 20 some uh, complaints against him. That is not true. Because of their inaction, somehow we are now being saddled with the idea of more and more laws. And this is the trick of the rights restrictors, the trick of the anti-rights group, that there, just because someone didn't take action, somehow now the rest of us who are law-abiding citizens have to endure a heavier burden of law. Oh, you're absolutely right. There's almost 40 instances where that killer uh, had had run-ins with law enforcement already, law enforcement coming to the house. But bottom line was the, the family didn't want to press charges against him. They were protecting him. And, um, you know, the, and for whatever reasons, uh, I think there were some political pressures, uh, uh, you know, not to, to make an arrest. And, uh, and so you're absolutely right. So instead of, you know, what, what you had was a failure of law enforcement, certainly a failure that day uh, where the Parkland shooting took place of law enforcement where they wouldn't go in. And you have teachers who have concealed carry permits and they're begging uh, to be able to carry in school. Uh, you know, they've made this very clear. In fact, I, I'm pretty sure that uh, one of the, 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 the gym teachers that was shot and killed that day was a, a concealed carry permit holder. You know, it's very interesting. Uh, the state of Florida passed uh, kind of a, a, a law ordering an investigation to make recommendations. And so they had a panel of several people. One of them was uh, the sheriff of Pinellas County, uh, Bob Gualteri. And he started off as an opponent of arming teachers. And as a result of sitting on that commission and examining the evidence, and you got to give kudos to this guy. I mean, you know, he, he starts off kind of leaning anti-gun, but yet very open-minded. And as he looks at the evidence, he comes to the opposite conclusion that lives would have been saved if teachers were armed. And so when the commission voted uh, on the proposal to recommend arming teachers or not, he voted uh, with the majority, a 13 to one vote in favor of arming teachers. Uh, you know, that's very significant. You know, most law enforcement, in fact, do favor. It's uh, well over 80% actually favor 
uh, armed teachers, uh, teachers being armed or principals, you know, anybody responsible in the school who, who wishes to. It's not like, you know, forcing old, you know, 90-year-old Mrs. Smith uh, to pack heat when she doesn't want to. I mean, that's not what we're talking about. But those who uh, can carry, do carry, want to carry, don't want to give up their right uh, once they, uh, you know, go to work and they want to be able to protect themselves and the children that they're teaching, why shouldn't they be able to uh, carry? It just, it absolutely makes no sense, especially when we consider, you know, as you know, Cheryl, uh, most of the public mass shootings, over 90% of them occur in gun-free zones where guns are not legally allowed. Uh, but, uh, you know, of course, these guys want to be the only ones with a gun. So you know, these these area, these disarmament areas, civilian disarmament areas actually serve as magnets for these bad guys. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And uh, what I've been saying through this whole conversation and the hysteria about, oh, everybody wants to arm teachers. I say, why are we disarming teachers? As you said about that one uh, PE coach, uh, why was he disarmed? He could have saved so many lives that day yes. and stopped the threat in the immediacy of what was happening and being an immediate responder. Um, so uh, I, I'm hoping, I do see more and more school districts being uh, more open to the yes. facts of the matter. Um, and we're actually, I'm on a board trying to bring Faster Saves Lives to Arizona. Um, Fantastic. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, this is uh, definitely needed. And you're right. Uh, the number of school districts is increasing. In fact, after Parkland, and this isn't, you know, you're not really going to see this, uh, you know, CBS, CNN, you know, they're not going to be talking about this. They seem to only like to publicize when gun control passes. Uh, but the number of school districts allowing armed teachers doubled after Parkland. So, you know, in the country, the number of school districts doubled. So that's very significant. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the, the PE teacher. And, you know, there you see the unintended consequences of gun control. We just brought in uh, to testify in Congress uh, a lady that's probably well known to the gun community, especially the older gun community who've been around for a while. And I've been in this uh, for, for 30 years. And so uh, you might, too, remember uh, Susanna Hupp. Absolutely. who was a s survivor of the, the Colleen, Texas, Luby's Cafeteria shooting. And she has a very powerful testimony uh, in that regard. She lost both of her parents that day, tragically. And uh, the story is that uh, she had a gun in the car uh, and she used to carry illegally, but somebody had encouraged her and said, you know, in fact, I think it was a patient because she was a chiropractor, uh, encouraged her saying, you know, you, if you're ever caught with that gun because there was no concealed carry law at the time, uh, you could end up losing your license. And so she says, I made the dumbest decision of my life, and that was to leave my gun in the car. She saw both her, her parents killed that day when she says several times I would have had a clear shot at this guy. Uh, to stop him. He ended up killing over 20 people in that uh, Luby's cafeteria. So anyway, if there is a silver lining to that story, uh, she uh, is credited as being the one that was really able to rally support for getting shall issue concealed carry uh, passed in the state of Texas. I mean, it was her story that just really um, I, I think showed people, you know, this is not working. Uh, George Hennard, the bad guy, 
uh, you know, the, the, the not having a carry law didn't stop him from carrying, but it stopped the good people who, who could have stopped them. Exactly. So, uh, so just uh, one more to- uh, question on the topic of the red flag gun laws or the ERBOs, just kind of where are we now? So originally, I believe it was just e- each individual state could uh, develop their own law. Um, right. But then I understood that it was being encouraged by, I believe it was Lindsey Graham, by kind of dangling that carrot of federal money, like what state is not going to want to have some federal money if they would enact a law. And now I believe I'm hearing that there's a federal version being formed. So what, what can you tell me about all that? Yeah, absolutely. They are trying to get this passed at, at the federal level in Congress. Uh, they've tried a, a couple different approaches. One is to stick it in the reauthorization for the Violence Against Women Act. Uh, we've been working very uh, diligently on Capitol Hill to get senators not to a, uh, insert a red flag law uh, in that reauthorization, and, and we've been successful so far. And then, as you mentioned, uh, Lindsey Graham, well, I guess I could also mention that the House Judiciary Committee has passed it, but it hasn't gone to the floor yet. And Senator Lindsey Graham, as you mentioned, is uh, working with a Democrat, uh, Connecticut Senator Richard Blumenthal, uh, to get a bill introduced. Uh, And there again, I mean, we have generated literally millions of grassroots messages in opposition to legislation like this and, and others as well, universal background checks, et cetera. But it's really having an effect. And so right now, things are stalled, uh, stalled for several reasons. One being uh, all this talk of impeachment is kind of sucking the oxygen out of Washington. And so uh, gun control seems to have uh, slowed down dramatically. But even before that, the reason it hadn't passed, we actually... I was sitting in a meeting with very high-level uh, ranking office on, in, uh, on Capitol Hill, and they told us, they said, you know, this would have already been a done deal, gun control passing, but they said, your members have been so loud, and you have put so much pressure on senators, it, it's really slow-walked things. Uh, so, you know, all that, uh, we're very thankful uh, to the grassroots, because, you know, us being in D.C., I mean, we're a mouthpiece, yes, but... You know, we're not the ones that can pull the lever and, you know, vote for these guys. I mean, it's really the the people back home that need to say, we will remember in November. And they've been doing this by the millions, and it's really resonating. And so anyway, all that to say, this legislation, the efforts is still there. Graham is still pushing this, but he's, you know, really running into roadblocks, and, and other senators are really dragging their feet at this point. Absolutely. Well... It's uh, it's always infuriating to me when you see that uh, they take a bill and then they start cramming other things into the bill. You know? Yes, I I believe we should uh, one issue one bill and and handle it that way. But that's not where we're at right now. And I saw an interesting article written. Um, I believe it was by uh, Alan Gottlieb, the president of the uh, Second Amendment Foundation, that was. Mm-hmm hearing what is happening to President Trump right now with uh, this whole Ukrainian anonymous tipster guy, right? Uh, Comparing that to what happens when you have these anonymous tips levied against gun owners. And I thought it was 
a really, um, I mean, it's ex exactly appropriate. And after all that he just went through, the president just went through with the Russia, Russia, Russia stuff, where it was just rumor and gossip and on and on and on, you would think that all of us would be so astute to say, okay, wait a minute. Anonymous people for completely nefarious reasons exactly. to the authorities and try to harm our reputation under the guise of this well-meaning, well-intentioned, common-sensey red flag gun law thing? No, absolutely no. Just say no. All right, moving on. Uh, you mentioned Susanna Huff testified in front of Congress. We've mm -hmm. had uh, a few of our uh, strong Second Amendment uh, advocates testifying lately on the uh, on the hill one of them is diana muller she's the founder of the dc project i'm the arizona delegate of that she is a 22-year veteran of the police department she uh also formed this group the dc project and she sat on this panel the house judiciary uh committee hearing on the this is air quotes assault weapons ban. And this woman, this law-abiding woman, said to that body that if these assault weapons bans uh, come to pass, that she would not comply. I mean, that is a huge statement for someone mm -hmm. of her stature and her background. Um, and there are millions of American citizens who are standing up and saying the same thing. What? Why would law-abiding American citizens straighten their back, look Congress dead in the eye and say, no, we're not going to go along with this kind of law? Because it's a God-given right. You know, our Declaration of Independence says that uh, our rights come to us from God. And, and then the Constitution takes the next step and, and it protects that right to keep and bear arms by saying that it shall not be infringed. And, you know, the Supreme Court uh, in the Heller decision pointed out that the, the ultimate purpose of the Second Amendment was to resist tyranny. Well, really, the first step to resisting tyranny is the kind of passive resistance that she's talking about, the refusal to comply with an unconstitutional decree. And, uh, you know, we, we see that happening in other places like New Jersey. Uh, the, the latest that I heard from... Uh, uh, police officer speaking to Amaland uh, a couple months ago uh, was that not one uh, under their new um, ban on uh, magazines holding over 10 rounds, not one magazine had been turned in, not one. I mean, not like even 1%, not one. I mean, th this is amazing noncompliance in a state, you know, in, in New Jersey. So, uh, and we've seen this in, in other places that have passed bans on semi-autos, semi very low compliance rate. I mean, even in uh, New Zealand, which doesn't have really the, the history or the background of, you know, understanding, uh, like, like, you know, having this concept of God-given rights and, and protecting them in the way that we have, and they don't have a shall not be infringed statement in their, uh, you know, in their constitution. Uh, and yet, even there, extremely low compliance rate. Uh, what I've heard is about 10% compliance rate in, in New Zealand uh, in terms of turning in their firearms. So, you know what? Uh, I think uh, there's going to be, a, uh, th there would be massive noncompliance if they were successful in pushing through a ban like that. 
Absolutely, because these so-called assault weapons that they're talking about are functionality-wise, functionally, the exact same one-for-one one ratio, one trigger pull for one projectile, same as your Glock, same as your, your old police revolvers, right? Same exact thing. So what they try to do is get everybody's heads bobbing in this direction because here's this scary looking gun, right? And then about a year later, if even that long, we're going to start hearing, wait a minute, functionally, they're the same. So if that's right. a bad gun, then all the rest of these are too. And in the meantime, they're making this huge end run around the whole thing by trying to red flag anybody that has a firearm. So uh, it is time that we all get smarter. We get more tapped into what's being said, how it's being said, how it's being written into law, and uh, really start pushing back again. The way that they did, you know, my dad's generation, the whole idea of gun registration, gun confiscation, uh, even the, the stuff that every single one of the Democratic uh, presidential candidates are spouting from the stage about gun rights and gun laws, that would have been career-ending rhetoric immediately. Yes. Like, don't pass go, there's no $200 to collect, and somehow just in one generation, this has become acceptable rhetoric to spout off and to completely uh, go against what is in our Constitution and our Bill of Rights. And um, I'm excited and encouraged to, to see that I think people are starting to uh, wake up mm -hmm. and push back. Fighting this is really important. And this is something our founding fathers understood. You know, our country was birthed because of uh, an attempt at gun control, our, our, specifically gun confiscation. Our founders had put up with a lot of abuses, but it was when they were attempting to confiscate the firearms at Concord is when we got the, you know, the shot heard around the world, uh, you know, the Battle of Lexington and Concord. And, you know, th that that fight to retain our rights, I mean, continues on, uh, you know, 200 years after Lexington and Concord. Sadly, you, you once again had an, another example within our borders of the majority disarming the minority. You know, Martin Luther King Jr. tried to get a concealed carry permit in, in the state of Alabama in 1956, and he was denied, you know, as were many other African-Americans during that time period. It's interesting, Condoleezza Rice, who's, a, of course, a former um, Secretary of State, talks about uh, the fact that her dad, during the 1950s and 1960s, would take his shotgun and with other uh, blacks from the neighborhood would, uh, they would uh, protect the neighborhood. They would walk at night uh, armed with their rifles and shotguns to protect uh, the, the inhabitants against the KKK, who basically the, the local police departments were, were just turning a blind eye to them. And, you know, it's interesting. She had a debate, she says, uh, at work once with a guy uh, about this. And, and, you know, she told him and said, look, you know, I oppose registration because Bull Connor, you know, who's the, the infamous uh, police commissioner of that day, uh, he said, she said he could have used those registration lists to confiscate, you know, my dad's guns and, and all the other guns in the neighborhood. And it's very interesting, the, 
the the guy who was being quoted in this New York uh, magazine, uh, New York Times magazine article said, you know, how am I as a white liberal to to answer that? You know, what am I going to say to Condoleezza Rice, you know, about that kind of an argument? Well, you know, he is right about that. There is no good response to that because that's the problem with gun control. It's the problem with uh, you know, gun control allows the majority to disarm and subjugate the minority. So, yeah, uh, you know, the fact that gun control, you know, what we're seeing with universal background checks, which really is uh, just universal registration. I mean, that's just a stepping stone towards what Beto O'Rourke wants, which is gun confiscation of AR-15s. And, and you're right, they, they would just start there with AR-15s because then they'll eventually come back with the argument, you know what, there's actually a lot more handguns being used to murder uh, than AR-15s. In fact, the recent FBI reports came out, there's less than 300 rifles used in crime. I mean, you have more of a chance to, to, you know, five times as much of a chance to be knifed to death, two times as much of a chance to be, uh, you know, pummeled to death with by, you know, fists and feet. In fact, you know, it, it would almost be, make more sense if you were really going down the, the path of restricting liberty just to put every American in handcuffs. And, you know, you would save more lives than banning AR-15s, which, by the way, isn't going to save lives because bad guys won't stop getting firearms. So, yeah, th- all of these reasons is why millions of Americans are just not going to comply with any such order that, uh, you know, Beto or anybody else comes up with. Absolutely. And, you know, we are the law-abiding citizens, uh, especially the, the records that you see, the stats you see on concealed carry holders. You know, we, uh-huh. we never break the law. We are very, very law conscious. So for us to be pushed into the corner that we are standing up and saying, no, you go ahead and make that law if you want. I mean, don't, <laughs> but we will not comply hey, hey. with it. And, and that's the other thing, Cheryl, is that it ends up making us the lawbreakers. I mean, how's that for a twist? You're absolutely right. We are the law abiding. And then by passing a law, you know, it says, well, these guns are banned and we're going to confiscate them. And yet now there's millions of people non-complying. Well, they become the lawbreakers now, even though they have not ever, ever lifted their firearm uh, to to commit a crime. All of a sudden, we're just, you know, would turn millions of Americans into lawbreakers. I mean, that you're absolutely right. That That's the other sinister part of that. Absolutely. Well, one of the tools that the anti-rights crowd wants to use are these universal background checks. And again, it's one of those uh, terms, it sounds all common sense. Like who wouldn't want that, right? And there's even this uh, percentage that keeps getting floated out there, something like 98% of Americans, including gun owners, you know, they love to throw that, including gun owners, that agree that we need these universal background checks. But when I go around the nation and I talk to people, I don't hear them saying, yes, I want the government keeping closer tabs on my social media. I want the government getting into my medical records, right? And that is the reality of what, one of the realities of a universal background check. Uh, So help 
me try to jive these th two things together and help people who are kind of stuck in that place where they're thinking, wow. yeah, it sounds like it makes sense. Help them understand what this really is and would it even be effective if we just sent our medical records to the government uh, every single month? Yeah, it, it would. Well, it, it would not be effective in uh, stopping crime, but it would be effective in giving the government a registration list, uh, as we were just talking about, which then is the, the first step uh, to gun confiscation. Yeah, these polls, Cheryl, are, are such a farce. I mean, if these pollsters were right, then Hillary would be president, right? Um, you know, uh, let, let me tell you something. Uh, let's look at, consider some other polls. Um, as you mentioned earlier, Gun Owners of America has over 2 million members and activists. Well, we polled them. 92% said they would never vote to reelect the legislator who supported universal background checks or voted for universal background checks. Now that's 92% of gun owners. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this statistic that says, you know, like, oh, almost 90% of gun owners support universal background checks. Well, they're not the ones that are identifying with us. Uh, I'll give you another example. Uh, in 2016, the state of Maine voted for Hillary Clinton. So, I mean, that tells you it's generally a, a blue-leaning state. Yeah. Interestingly, they also had universal background checks on the ballot. Do we want universal background checks in the state of Maine or don't we? Guess what? The state that voted for Hillary Clinton voted down universal background checks. So don't tell me that a majority of Americans, you know, 90% of Americans support this and that, you know, a major overwhelming majority of gun owners. But it's just absolutely not true. And, uh, you know, of course, the real truth about polls is you get the result you want by the way you ask the questions or by who you choose to poll. I mean, it's not a secret uh, that many polls oversample Democrat voters. And so, you know, typically what, what the anti-gun left does is they manipulate the polls to dispirit, dispirit us. And, you know, that's why you saw before the election, you know, in 2016, so many polls over and over and over saying Hillary was going to win. But look, you know, bottom line, you know, since we're talking about polls, it, it's important to mention it really doesn't matter what the polls say. Because the beauty of the Second Amendment, the beauty of the Bill of Rights, is that it trumps what the majority says. In other words, the law of the land is that we have a right to keep and bear arms that's protected. And of course, as our declaration says, that that's because it, you know, our rights come from God. So it's not a privilege given to us by the government you know, to give and, and take at their whim. Uh, so... You know, we have these God-given rights that cannot be taken away. They're protected by the Bill of Rights. And therefore, it doesn't matter if 95% of Americans say, oh, you know, we want to get rid of those black, scary guns, or we want to register all guns. doesn't matter. Shall not be infringed is still the law of the land. And that's what trumps. Absolutely. And it is you know, kind of the... Uh gun rights for dummies like our founding fathers said all right they can't screw this up let's add this clause the only place it exists is attached to the second amendment there and it's a period there's no asterisk it says unless someone does something horrible and misuses their right for the tool right or unless the gun looks a little too scary for your neighbor right there's there's right. no asterisk there it's a period hard stop 
end of sentence and praise God, they, they had that wisdom and that foresight, but they, yes, it, it was hindsight and foresight because as you said, it was at Lexington, Lexington and Concord when the English army showed up and said, we'll be taking your guns now. Right. right? And that's when the colonists straightened their back, looked them in the eye and said, yeah, we're not going to comply with that. Absolutely. That's right. So uh, we need more of that for sure. Um, so there's something else going on in the news that is, I mean, I'm a two-way advocate. I, I do this radio stuff and this video stuff uh, with experts in, in our field. And there's a name being floated out there, Chuck Canterbury. I never, I never even heard the name Chuck Canterbury until I started prepping for our chat today. So if I didn't know who this guy was, probably most Americans don't either. So turns out he's been nominated to be the, uh, the king. Oh, I'm sorry. No, not the king. The, uh, <clears throat> taking the head position of the ATF, which is the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. Um, but there's a lot of Republicans that knew his name and they're pushing back and yeah. talk to us about who this person is, why the Republicans are, are pushing back and what it would mean to us if he does uh, get to wear his little ATF crown. And I have to be, I'm a little smarmy here. I have a gun store myself, uh, azfirearms.com. So uh, there's a lot of wonderful people that work for the ATF, but um, make no mistake, they are not our friends. So Canterbury is the head of the FOP, the Fraternal Order of Police. Uh, he has supported quite a bit of gun control. He's, uh, we were talking about red flag gun confiscation laws. Well, he supports them. In fact, he's told senators he'd be happy to work with them to, to craft a, a bill. Uh, he says he's open to supporting uh, an assault weapons ban. Uh, uh, that would be their terms, not mine. Uh, a ban on commonly owned firearms, commonly owned, owned semi-automatics. I mean, that's not good. Uh, he's also supported, uh, as the head of the FOP, some really anti-gun candidates. I mean, he's endorsed uh, Sonia Sotomayor for the Supreme Court. Uh, and, you know, we knew all along she was anti-Second Amendment. And first chance she had, she cast an anti-gun vote in the McDonald decision. Uh, he supported uh, uh, Eric Holder for attorney general. So anyway, we've called him out on his anti-gun views, and we've generated uh, quite a bit of grassroots pressure uh, into the Senate. And so it was very refreshing to see, and, and this has all been reported in the press, but there's four key senators uh, on the Judiciary Committee who said we can't vote for him, um, or you know, at a minimum, they're strongly leaning against enough that uh, it's held up the nomination. In other words, uh, they, they were gonna have a vote to confirm him, they canceled the vote because he was gonna go down in flames. And so uh, this is really, uh, this is huge because, you know, these appointments can be very problematic. You know, we sounded the alarm on William Barr and sadly, uh, you know, senators, uh, very few Republican senators uh, took heed. Uh, they went ahead and confirmed him. And now look at what he's doing. He's walking the halls of the Senate trying to gin up support for universal uh, background checks or universal, what they really are, universal registration. Uh, so he's become like a little lobbyist 
you know, for, for Bloomberg, if you will. Uh, so th this is the danger when you, you know, uh, you know, it, it's not enough to just say, oh, you know, he's run the FOP, he has management experience. Yeah, sure. You know, let's stick him in. No, I mean, his views, the views he holds, it can be uh, very helpful or very uh, detrimental. I mean, I, you know, I mean, we think, you know, we should be abolishing the ATF. Uh, but as long as we're going to have one, I mean, I want a constitutionalist in there uh, who's going to be really reining in uh, the excesses. And, uh, you know, we get reports from dealers all the time about how they're making wholesale copies of 4473 forms, which they're not supposed to do. Well, they're only supposed to make any kind of copy during, uh, in it, like, if they're investigating uh, a crime. Uh, but that's not what we're talking about. We're just talking about during the regular compliance inspections. And it's not just localized to one area. We've heard it all over the country. This is a huge problem. And it, it's already happening. And so just imagine if we, if we did pass universal background checks, now you would have every background check being recorded by a 4473 form. Uh, so yeah, yet another reason why that's not a good idea. But you know, I should uh, mention, Cheryl, that people can go to our website at gunowners.org and at the top of the page, we have an alert, uh, which will give people pre-written text that they can send off to those four key senators uh, because they're really the, the, the sticking point right now. The, the administration is digging in their heels and they're making phone calls and they're putting pressure. And since, you know, since uh, Mike Lee of Utah, Josh Hawley of Missouri, uh, John Kennedy of Louisiana, and Ben Sass of Nebraska, all of them have been mentioned in the papers. There's no doubt that uh, the administration is going to be, uh, you know, pulling strings or putting heat, whatever they can do to get them to change their votes. So it's important that, that they hear from the rest of America and say, hey, you know, we applaud what you guys are doing. Stand firm. Uh, have the administration send another pick. Absolutely. And uh, we need to start wrapping up. I've kept you longer than I, I thought that I would, and I so appreciate your time. But just, Absolutely. just to wrap up on what you were saying, the, the names that you rattled off, these are all representatives. Too often we we lose sight and we want to call them our leaders, you know, or something like that, our lawmakers. They are our representatives. We hire them with our vote. So we, I'm a business owner. I have a staff. I don't just hire somebody and then walk away and hope that they do a good job. Never. Right. We have to tell our staff members, our employees, our representatives how to represent us. And if we walk away and don't ever reach back out and talk to them, the other side that hates our rights, trust me, they're talking, they're loud. So we have to stay engaged. We have to help them know what we're thinking and we've done it right. Praise them publicly, right. just, just as you were saying, Eric. Yeah, absolutely. So again, I, you know, I encourage people, if you're not already getting our emails, go to gunowners.org. They're free. Uh, just sign up for the, the email alerts there on the front page, and then you'll get these action alerts. And, uh, you know, we only put them out when, when there's action that's needed, but boy, has it been effective. Uh, you know, I mentioned earlier, we've generated over 3 million messages just since uh, the beginning of August when the real push, you know, to bring Congress back uh, into session early and, you know, th that intense push 
for gun control in August and early September. In that time period, we were also counteracting with 3 million messages. And again, we, we make it easy for you. So all you have to do you know, with a mouse is just a couple clicks. You can send off the, the message that we provide you, or you can alter it however. You, know, you can toughen it up or you know, put in whatever facts and figures. Uh, but anyway, it's really important, like you were saying, Cheryl, uh, they need to hear from us. Because otherwise, you know, I live right outside of DC. I live on the Virginia side, but I know here in the nation's capital, the echo chamber is really loud and they just, they get to feeling like, oh my goodness, we've got to do something. You know, we, we've got to pass something because America wants it. And, and they're hearing the media. And that's why it's so important that gun owners around the country, men and women are, are you know, using these alerts to, uh, with a very concerted effort to put heat on these people. It's, it's really making a difference. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for all that you do to help make a difference and help us speak up because we're busy, right? Everybody's busy and you know, we're chunking along in life and it, we can't stay on top of every single bill and every single news article and that sort of thing. And GOA, Gun Owners of America, definitely helps keep me informed and me on top of things. And I encourage everyone else out there to definitely uh, go to their website, say it again, gunowners.org. Absolutely. Get signed up. Stay in touch with them. Stay in touch with your elected officials who are your representatives, not your leaders. And uh, again, That's right. thank you so much, Eric. We appreciate your time. Eric Pratt of Gun Owners of America. Oh, you're welcome. It's been a pleasure to be with you here, Cheryl. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. All right, stick around. There's always a lots more coming up on Gun Freedom Radio.